The title of this podcast begins like a headline off the New York Post. Ancient Roman girl found dead but stunning. If talking about the dead creeps you out, then reconsider listening to this podcast. But if you can live with creepy, stay tuned. According to an article on the website Medievalist.net, an article titled The Discovery of a Roman Girl in the 15th Century, a preserved body of a girl was found along the Via Appia just outside of Rome in April 1485. Remember that date, 1485. It seems that workmen searching for usable marble underneath an old tomb came across a marble sarcophagus that contained an ancient Roman girl smeared in a fragrant mixture of plaster, according to a letter by a professor of literature at the time, and yes, they did have professors of literature back then. She was preserved perfectly in appearance and beautiful. The girl was estimated to be over 1,500 years old and still beautiful in what Shakespeare described as death counterfeiting sleep. Let's hit the brakes. Let's jump forward 500 years to the ancient world of 1985. My friend Pat Williams and I took a ghost tour through the city of Chicago. We sat on one of those touring buses, usually seen going to football games or heading down to Florida. Our evening was spent seeing the locations of where priests had walked through walls and haunted restaurants where Al Capone's ghost can be seen. I think there was even a sweep past the Biograph Theater. Now this is where John Dillinger, American gangster, was gunned down by the FBI. But I don't recall Dillinger's ghost ever popping up in front of the ticket office. Towards the end, the bus wound up on the west side of the city. I think it was around October. The temperature was cool, and the sun had already set. I think the time was about 9.30 p.m. It was a typical Chicago neighborhood of ranch homes, but across the street was Mount Carmel Cemetery. This is located in Hillside, Illinois. Now, it was rumored that the ghost of Julia Bocola Petta could be seen walking through the cemetery in her wedding dress. The young woman died in childbirth. The bus driver said something along the following over the intercom. Uh, we're a little early, folks. I'm going to park the bus. I'll keep the lights low so you can see the event. 
There was a tradition in the early part of the century that if an Italian girl died in childbirth, that she is buried in her wedding dress. It is said that she still walks amongst the stones. Now, it seems that Julia's mother was plagued with nightmares of her daughter trying to get out of her coffin. The local priest had Julia dug up. Upon opening the coffin, they found the young woman perfectly preserved. A photograph was taken to document what had happened, and a body was placed back underground. Strangely enough, the nightmares ceased. You know, a statue of Julia is still there at that cemetery. A life-sized statue of a bride in a wedding dress still stands over her grave. On the front is a black and white photo of Julia in life, and below a black and white shot of her in death. And this photo of her in death shows her lying in her casket, dressed in her wedding dress, and there's no decay. The flesh is uncorrupted. She died giving childbirth to her son Filippo and was buried in her white dress with her dead son tucked in her arms. The body was exhumed and it was found that the flesh was perfect, still soft. The photo that's on the tomb is, was taken approximately six years after her death. The child was in a state of decomposition, but Julia was pristine. You see, the way it was explained, on the surface of her skin was a substance called corpse wax. This seems to be a waxy film consisting chiefly of fatty acids and calcium soaps that is formed in body fat when the body is placed in moist ground or conditions where there's little oxygen. The shape and state of the body was said to be from natural conditions. Of course, the religious said she was a saint. I looked out the window of the bus. Outside on the front lawns of the neighborhood, residents had lawn chairs set up as if expecting a fireworks display. From the bus, we patiently watched the tombstones for a few minutes. Then quite unexpectedly, a body, or rather a man in a sheet, rose up from behind a tombstone and hopped and danced around the grave sites. Suddenly, the lights of a cop car snapped on. Rotating red lights ignited the area as the policeman tried to catch the college student who was pledging to a local fraternity. The local police had been trying to stop this blatant act of trespassing for years, which is nothing but entertainment for the homeowners that lived across the street. The residents and the people on the bus applauded as the poor guy in knee socks and a sheet ran pell-mell through the gray zones while being chased by the police. This roadside entertainment is nothing new. And if we jump back 500 years, let's take a closer look at the beautiful woman that was found by the construction workers. The Roman woman, the ancient Roman woman that had not aged a day. A letter 
by Bartolomeo Fanzio, a professor of literature, describes a sweet-smelling bark that covered the girl, which he described as myrrh, frankincense, aloe, and other priceless drugs. The letter writer gushes on the girl being so lovely, so pleasing, so attractive, appearing to have been laid to rest that very day. Quote, Her hair, long and dark and firmly fixed to the scalp, was gathered in a knot and divided into twin tresses in a girlish manner all covered by a hairnet of silk interwoven with gold. Then there appeared small ears, a short forehead, dark eyebrows, the eyes beneath shapely and bright. The nose was still intact and so soft that if it was pressed by a finger, it would flex and yield. The lips were a pale red, the teeth snow white and small, the tongue from the roof of the mouth all scarlet. The cheeks, chin, and throat, you'd think they belonged to a living person. The arms hung down from the shoulders entire and would follow wherever you led them. The hands were stretched out, the fingers rounded and tapered with translucent nails and so firmly fixed that they could not be torn from the joints. Her breasts, stomach, and belly were equally broad and appeared white when the fragrant bark was taken away. The nape of her neck, her back and buttocks retained their position and shape and graceful appearance. The beauty of her hips, thighs, shins, and feet likewise gave the impression of a living person." End quote. In short, he added to the letter, this girl had lived when Rome was in its prime and seems as shapely as she was noble. Okay, okay, I admit it. The whole thing is macabre and slightly perverse. But in 1485, thousands of people came out to see this naked body of this perfectly preserved Venus. So the only way I can imagine it is a line of people snaking down into a crypt lit by torches and oil lamps. Good entertainment. And I say this sarcastically. This must have been hard to come by in those days. According to all accounts, she was beautiful. Someone that survived the test of time in all things, save for death. Even the Pope found it a little creepy, so he shut it down. So let's put a little context to the story. What exactly was going on in 1485? Well... Rome is a republic ruled by the Medici family. That world is dominated by Florence, Venice, the Roman Pontifical State, the Kingdom of Naples, and the Duchy of Milan. Religious and classical subjects are the thing in painting and art. This, by the way, was the year of the Battle of Bosworth Field, 22 August, 1485. The House of York Plantagenet was replaced by the House of Tudor, on that day, the last English monarch died on the battlefield. And seven years later, Christopher Columbus discovered the American continent, apart from the Norse explorers 500 years earlier. Early Renaissance is the golden age for artists, 
scientists and the bourgeois who gained more and more self-confidence. So what was going on in Rome when this ancient girl walked the earth? I mean, what do you need? What do you need for it to reach out and grab you? I mean, we could talk about dates, about a new Roman province being established in the Alps. We could talk about Tiberius. We could talk about a fleet being sunk in Lake Constance. To mention a few dates and battles is all very well. But what does that really mean to us in the present and to the Renaissance Roman? What do you need to be awed by it? I mean to really be awed. I mean to feel a visceral feeling under your skin, under your fingernails, to feel the hair stand up on the back of your neck. Dates won't do it for you. Fleets being sunk at Lake Constance won't do it for you. In her world, men fought in the arena, slavery was common, Tiberius ruled the Roman Empire, and this is the most important part. She lived during the time of Christ. Now, it had to provide some comfort. Here in front of these Renaissance Romans was a person that breathed the same air of Christ, stood on the same earth. Of course, she was dead and could not testify to anything, and there was no proof that she had any knowledge or even laid eyes upon the Son of God. However, Put aside the lewd nature of a naked girl on display. Put aside the macabre nature of using a dead body as a tourist destination. This odd and once-in-a-lifetime occurrence is the type of thing that gets people's attention. These people of Renaissance Rome walked amongst the ruins of supporting evidence of Christ's existence. They saw the statues buildings, and the Colosseum, though cannibalized for building material. But it was the supporting evidence of their beliefs. Some of this has to be true, for if not, what was the Shroud of Turin? What was the Holy Lance, the spear that pierced the side of Christ, or any of the instruments of passion? What had failed to crumble in that world must have influenced future artists. Yes, the church was the main subject matter, but one definitely can see the world of mythology in the works of Bernini. Check out his sublime statuary of Apollo and Daphne. To the well-read, to those who could see the crumbling remnants of empire about them, to those who knew the subjugation of Christ under the Romans, to be able to see someone from that past must have been equal to seeing a piece of the cross itself. Is this too weird? I don't know. Death is waiting for us all. To see how the past might have been is fascinating. Death is fascinating. The idea of putting off death crosses generations. Wrinkle cranes make promises of youth in a bottle. Why are there museums devoted to ancient Egypt? with hundreds of mummies on display under glass. This is strange voyeurism, to be sure, but check out an interesting book called Egyptomania by Bob Breyer. Yes, at one time, mummies in the 17th and 18th centuries 
were grounded up into dust so their remains could be put into elixirs and drunk for the purpose of prolonging life. Yes, you heard me. People drank the dead. Now, let me share something on a more personal level. It's kind of macabre. It's sort of an Adams family outing sort of thing. As a treat, and only if I was a very good boy. And it was always on a birthday or a graduation. My parents would take me to see the mummies at the Oriental Museum. They changed their name, by the way. It's now called the Institute for the Study of Ancient Cultures. I would stand in front of the mummy's display and drink in with my eyes a display of immortal death. But what does a kid know? There's also another occasion that as a child I remember going to the field museum to view a fish, yes, a fish, a dead fish at the time, encased in glass and submerged in yellow liquid. It was thought to be extinct, but it was found and saved in preservatives for Chicagoans to file by and gawk in amazement, because it was supposed to be extinct. It was known as a silucanth. It was a creature that lived in the oceans over 360 million years ago. Coelacanths were thought to have become extinct in the late Cretaceous, and to everyone's surprise, was discovered living off the coast of South Africa in 1938. Hmm. I never cease in being surprised, but, you know, that's part of living. I got some recommended reading. If you got a moment, check out the book Letters to Friends, written by Bartolomeo Fanzio. He was a literary figure in Florence during the time of the Medici and Machiavelli. It lets us into the world of Renaissance and its study of classical scholarship. The body of the Roman girl is discussed. Fanzio writes, I only wish I could do justice in words to the beauty of attractiveness of the cadaver, which would seem amazing to posterity and quite incredible were not that it was witnessed by the entire city. End quote. He's talking about Rome. Maybe this ancient Roman girl gave a small push to the resurgence of classical study. Maybe. What do they say? Seeing is believing 